Amen. Amen. As you take your seat, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to be reading together verses 22 down through chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, 22, uh, verse 22 through chapter 4, verse 1. And I want to preach on this subject today as we look at God's Word together. The gospel view of work and labor. The gospel view of work and labor. While you're turning there, and I still hear some pages turning, tell me, how many of you uh, can think of how many different jobs you've had in your life that were ongoing jobs? They just weren't something you did, you know, one time uh, and you made a little side money, but something that you did over and over repeatedly for some period of time. Uh, How many of you would say, I've had more than seven jobs in my life? I've had more than seven jobs in my life. How many of you would say, I've had more than 12 jobs in my life? I've had more than 12 jobs. How many of you would say, I've had so many, I don't know how many jobs I've had in my life? Some of y'all are like that today. How many of you here today, you remember the first opportunity you had to work in an ongoing uh, way? How many of you remember that? What, what was your first job? Anybody, can, anybody remember? What was it, Barbara? Do what? In a donut shop. I'm thankful the Lord has spared me from that. <laughs> By the way, with that in mind, I'm just going to tell you, Popeye's is going to be a block down the road. I'm, I'm confessing now I'm going to need accountability. Out of all the chicken places, all the chicken places, even our beloved Chick-fil-A, I love Popeye's fried chicken more than any other. I've already told Brian and Taylor, I've told Tracy and Jacob, Y'all going to have to put me on that Find Friends app and that tracker because I'm going to be like slipping off and going up here to Popeye's and eating chicken. And so a donut shop, somebody else, you remember the first place you ever worked, first place you ever worked. Where was it? Mallory's sewing. Were you sewing there? All right. All right. Somebody said Houchins here. Houchins, anybody else? You remember the first place that you worked? Baby doll clothes in a sewing factory. Glasgow, Glasgow that was your first job. I'm impressed with that, Miss Sandy. Sandy saying, don't be. Mike, where did you work? Fruit stand. My my first job I ever had was delivering pizzas uh, with my older brothers. And so... One brother, he stayed normally in Don Joe's Pizzeria, which was right across the alley from us, up a couple of houses on 63rd Street in Chicago, Illinois. So one of them normally was in there making pizza pies. The other guy uh, would be delivering pizzas and running them out the back. And so if I was ever with, teamed up with my brother Barry, he was a big guy, a lot bigger than I was. And so He learned I can take my little brother with me. I can give him exact change, and I can run him up into the door, let him fight all the dogs, right? And so back then, that would have been uh, in the 70s. And so let me tell you what it was life was like in the 70s in Chicago. You could go out, and and you weren't fearful going up to a stranger's house especially if you were delivering pizza pies, right? Because uh, there just wasn't any danger really back then of being harmed in any way. And I can remember doing that. And my brother, I can remember him saying to my other brother, man, tips were good tonight. And they'd throw me 50 cents or a buck, and I thought I was rich, you know. And there they were yanking down 40 and 50 and 60 bucks a night just in tips. 
running those pizza pies. And I, I'll never forget that because he, he was really conscientious. He wanted me to use the uh, proper manners when I went to the door. And he wanted to make sure I didn't turn the pizza box anyway and mess it up and all of those things. And so I am delighted that on Labor Day weekend that we can look at God's Word and study together about the gospel and work and labor and what that really means. I want us to read this text together, and then I want to consider just the biblical scope of work and that the Scripture's not silent about labor and work. And so we pick up in verse 22. In Colossians, Paul is speaking about putting on this new man, this new creation that you are in Christ, whether you be a man or a woman. He's saying you should let your Christian nature begin to work out of you, and you should be growing in the Lord. And so he's talking about how the gospel changes every area of your life. And so he talks about how it changes your family. But then he talks about how it changes your work ethic as well. And so he begins in verse 22. And by the way, as he's talking about putting on this new person, this new creation in Christ, putting away the old, allowing the new to shine forth, this is his longest uh, admonition in putting on. He talks more about putting on the right work ethic, making sure your Christianity influences your work than any other area. And probably, uh, he probably has Onesimus, uh, this runaway slave in mind as he is writing this uh, book to the Colossians. And so he begins in verse 22 and he says, bond servants, another word would be slaves, said, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 22 says this, So I saw that there is nothing, here's Solomon, So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him or what will happen at the end of his life? And then in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Solomon says, Nothing is better for man than to eat and drink and enjoy his work. I've also seen that this is from the hand of the Lord. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, listen to what the Bible says. It says, The Lord God took the man, Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now, why would I share that this morning? It's important for you to know that this passage, the idea that the Lord created Adam, he put him in the garden to labor and work in the garden. This is before the fall. This is, this is uh, before sin came into the world. So God created you and I as human beings to work. And so oftentimes we miss that. Uh, we realize that our work is a, we should realize that our work is a gift from God whereby we may glorify him in it. And so we read Genesis 2.15, and we begin to realize that, wait a minute, before the fall, before the curse, before sin occurred, 
that there was work. Work was never intended to be cursed. Pain and sweat in work was the curse and was a result of the fall of Adam and Eve, who are all of our humanity is wrapped up in Adam and Eve, meaning federal headship of sin. All of Adam and Eve's sin has come to us as human beings. And so the work itself is a gift of God. And so today, for the next few minutes, I want us to thank God and bring glory to his name as we celebrate his gift of work and labor to our lives. This is a pressing need in our lives that we begin to understand how we bring God glory in the everyday toil of our life. Whether we work in a factory or whether we work on a farm or whether we work in a chef's kitchen somewhere or whether we work in some other place, all the labor and the toil and the work that we do is intended to be a gift from the Lord. A matter of fact, did you know that this idea of Labor, labor Day sprang up about 140 years ago? 10,000 workers in New York marched from City Hall to Union Square holding what some uh, would say was the first Labor Day parade in U.S. history. A matter of fact, that's what the New York Times said. The headline in 1882 read, Working Men on Parade. But many in the parade wished their jobs for participating in this one-day strike. And what they were doing is they were really protesting the work environment. See, our holiday that we celebrate tomorrow uh, really emerged from a really unfortunate period of work in American labor history. In the early 1800s, manufacturing workers were working some 70 hours a week, oftentimes 60 hours a week on normal. Uh, later that century, the hours began to drop just a little bit, but the working conditions were harsh and they were unsafe. The jobs were physically demanding. Now listen to this. Even little children at this period of time in the late 1800s, even little children were asked to work and to work hard. And I'm not talking about on a father's farm. I'm talking about in industry and places of labor where conditions were not the best. And so growing out of that labor movement, that protest that occurred that day, our president, Grover Cleveland, signed an act in 1894 establishing the first Monday in September as a federal holiday, calling it Labor Day. A matter of fact, I uh, was looking this week, Labor Day has become the third most favorite holiday of the calendar year. In many of these polls, I was thinking, Labor Day? I, I'm a Christmas man. Anybody a Christmas man? How, how many of you like Christmas? I love Christmas. Anybody an Easter fan around here? I, I love Easter. How about Thanksgiving, right? How many of you like turkey and dressing and getting together with the family? I, I'm all about those, but I would have never thought Labor Day would have had the popularity that it does. Oftentimes, as believers, we look at work, labor, toil, as an evil necessary. When I was a junior in high school, there was a Canadian rock band called Loverboy. They released a song titled, Everybody's Working for the Weekend. How many of you remember that song right now? Everybody's Working for the Weekend. It really had nothing to do with work. It was just the, the lyric in the chorus. It was really a, a song about finding love on the weekend, and so they just couldn't wait to get through the work week so they could get to Friday, Saturday, and Sunday and somehow find the love of their lives. 
But that phrase, everybody's working for the weekend, or let's get it done because Friday is coming, somehow seems to represent that God is not God and we cannot glorify him and work and labor must be a toil Monday through uh, Friday and we just can't wait for it to be over. But I want to say to you that work is a central theme in the scriptures. This idea of labor and work and toil, it weaves itself through the story of redemption. You say, where do you see that, preacher? Well, from Genesis to Revelation, God presents himself as a worker. He is not only this worker who worked in creation six days, seventh day, rested, and then he did nothing else. The Bible presents, uh, God presents himself through scripture as this God who is never ceasing to work. Right? A matter of fact, the Bible says, I never sleep, I never slumber, right? God's always awake, He's always conscious, He's always carrying out what He chooses to do. And so He presents Himself as this worker. And then the second theme is the Lord gives work for us to do that we might be great stewards of all that He has worked in. And so he, He's established this work ethic all through scriptures, and He reminds us that as his creation, especially as believers, we are called to be stewards or managers of this creation and the order that he has entrusted to us. And so uh, in some ways, we identify with the glory of God as he has entrusted us with his work, and we witness to the world through the way that we work. And then lastly, he has... Uh, he has given us work as a powerful way to praise and honor him. But if not careful, work and labor can be a destructive force in our lives as we look to our work for security, if we look to our work for fulfillment, if we look to our work for provision or identity. So if you're here today and, and you're struggling, your identity's wrapped up in your work, or you feel like, man, you have to work because... If you don't work, that's the only way that you're ever going to have any kind of provision. Or if you feel like, man, my greatest source of contentment and fulfillment comes from my job. Or if you feel like, I, I just feel like that I can handle my life better and I, my life will be more secure with the more money I make. I want to say to you, you could substitute those things for really honoring the Lord in your work. So what, what does our passage say here? What is Paul trying to get us to understand? What does the Holy Spirit want you and I on this Labor Day weekend of 2019 to understand about work and labor? And here's the first thing. Because of the gospel, right? Because of what Jesus has done. Jesus is this curse lifter, right? Jesus is this one who in him the law is fulfilled. So we no, no longer have to live under the curse of the law that he allows us to bring glory and honor to the Lord in all that we do through our family, uh, in our worship and in our service to one another as we grow in him and even in our work. And so because of the gospel as Christians, number one, will you write this down? We will yield to our employers recognizing their God-given authority in our lives. What, what is a gospel understanding or a gospel view of work and labor? If it's anything, it's this, that we will yield to our employers, in this context, the masters, recognizing their God-given authority in our lives. 
He says it simply in verse 22. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. He wants to draw a distinction here. He talks about honoring the Lord, and he's going to speak precisely about the Lord Christ here in just a minute. But when he's talking to us about obeying, he's saying, make sure that you obey your earthly masters. Dorothy Sayers was a tremendous blessing to uh, the church, to Christian education. She was a great thinker. And in her book, Why Work?, Dorothy Sayers asked the question, what is the Christian understanding of work? How, do we, or how are we to view uh, what we are doing here every day that pays the bills and that we get up and we go and do or that we do on second shift or third shift, whatever time of the day that we do it? And she answered her own question by saying, work is the natural exercise and function of man, the creature who is made in the image of the creator. Work is not primarily a thing one does to live. Listen to this. Work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. You say, are you saying to me, this woman is saying that we are meant to work and, and this is what we are meant to do? And I'm saying that's exactly what she's saying. Preacher, is she right? She's exactly right. And listen why. Work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do, it is or should be. The full expression of the worker's faculties, the thing in which he or she finds spiritual, mental, and bodily satisfaction, bodily satisfaction, and the medium in which he or she offers himself to God on a daily basis. So what is Dorothy Sayers saying? Dorothy Sayers saying, you know what we should do? We should recognize that work, labor, is a real gift from the Lord, and that as we go about our job every day, we have this real opportunity to point people to Jesus, not in a sidebar gospel conversation only, but in the way that we go about doing our work. She has more to say about that, and I will quote her again a little bit later. But in the setting here that you see in Colossians when he says, bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, the setting is that probably more than half of the people who were on the streets of the great cities of the Roman Empire were slaves. And this was the status of the majority of professional people, such as teachers and doctors, as well as those of menial labor and craftsmen. This is F.F. F. Bruce. So what is he saying? He's saying in the context in which Paul was writing, he was saying half the population were viewed as bondservants or slaves. Some were viewed as free bondservants, meaning this, that they had earned their freedom but because they loved their master and their master treated them so well, they freely offered themselves back to the master and they would have a piercing done to show that they were released, they could have been free, but by their own accord and their own will, they chose to stay yoked to the master because of the way that the master treated them. Other were just enslaved. That means that they were sort of owned. Now, it's different than what we think about slavery uh, back in the 1718-1900s, early 1900s here in our nation. Uh, th that slavery had a lot to do with race. Um, today, a lot of slavery has to do with poverty and economic situations, a lot of child trafficking and those type of things that are going on. But this type of slavery here... Sometimes it could be doctors, sometimes it could be educators, sometimes it could be regular carpenters or someone else who were uh, serving or working as slaves. And so Paul says, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. So what is he saying? 
employees have a God-ordained role of obedience and submission to their employers and supervisors. Paul gives us a laundry list of this, of how we're to interact with one another. And he does it in Romans chapter 12. He talks about, he's saying, here's just everyday, good, practical way that you relate to people inside the church. But then he says, this is the way you are to relate to people outside the church. He's saying in Romans 12, in verses 9 through 21, he's saying, these common, practical, everyday mindsets is the way that we are to go about relating one to another. And he begins in Romans 12, 9, he says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, listen to what he says. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Why did I share that laundry list? Well, I believe the Lord led us to that to answer the question, Preacher, I know that I'm supposed to recognize the authority of my employer or those who are over me, but what happened if I have an evil employer? What happened if I have someone who is a taskmaster and they're just driving, they're just driving, 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 there's no joy? What about if I'm just working with people who are ungodly? And I would just say, to you about that. Maybe God has put you there to be the salt and light in that place that you need to be. I can tell you, once I became a believer, the Lord used me much greater in much greater ways at our Donnelly's than he did at, uh, than he did before I was a believer. Man, back there in the back, them guys talking filthy, and we'd be bagging mail, and we'd be sorting mail, we'd be stacking mail, and we'd be back there just working away, guys telling all sorts of stuff and using all sorts of vulgarity. I mean, that's just who I was. I didn't think anything about it. I probably went and repeated some of it and participated in some of it. But when God saved me and set me free, I began to realize one of the things I asked God to forgive me of was just this vulgarity in his vulgar mouth that I just learned honestly from uh, the home in which I lived and the neighborhoods in which I lived. And so I can remember thinking, Lord, I, I don't ever want to use that kind of language again. I, I want you to clean up my speech. And I can remember being working back there in the back. And one of the first days that, man, those guys just started in, I kept thinking, what should I do? I can't walk off. I, I need to do something here. And so I'm just sitting there, unusually quiet, and I'm praying. I'm thinking, Lord, just help me at the right opportunity, the right time to encourage these guys and let them know what happened to me. And so uh, I went to break a little fearful. I came back and uh, really, it was it had gotten a little better that afternoon. I thought, man, I prayed and the Lord answered this prayer. I'm not going to have to say anything. 
But lo and behold, man, there's a backup and books are going in the floor. And people are throwing things and everybody's getting mad and everybody's hustling around. And we get back there, the thing's starting to, to run. And I mean, it is just vulgarity after vulgarity. And I just said, guys, I've been talking like that with you. And I said, all I can tell you is I've been born again. I've been sharing that with you. And I just, I really don't want to talk about that, talk like that. I, I really wish that you wouldn't talk like that in my presence. Well, one guy, he, there was some vulgarity. He said, blankety blank, blank, right at me. And I just thought, well, there you go. Just going to have to live with it. And one guy said, well, you don't have to get all preachy on us, but I do understand where you're coming from. Let's knock it off. We can clean up our speech just a little bit. That, that whole opportunity of working beside of unbelievers gave me an opportunity to not only begin to address sin, but later on begin to talk about the gospel with those guys, talk about the, the full conversation of the gospel about what Jesus does. And so what is it that God calls us to do and to be because of the gospel as Christian workers? And the first thing that we find in our text is that we will yield to our employers, recognizing their God-given authority in our life. What is the point of that yielding? You should not contradict the gospel. You should not sin. Uh, their authority over you is limited. And so if you have an employer that's asking you to do things that are dishonest or illegal, you should not be obedient to them. You should say, God, I need another job, and I need you to help me find another job. If you understand that, say amen. Here's the second thing. What does that gospel implication for us mean concerning work and labor? Well, if it means anything, it means this as well. That we will labor enthusiastically with our whole heart as we were working for the Lord. And so to catch it in its context, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. We are commanded in God's word to avoid insincere labor and only laboring well when the boss or the employee, employer is watching. How many of you have known people like that? I mean, they just sort of sit back. Some of y'all are shaking your heads. They sit back. They got it on cruise. And then here comes the foreman. Here comes the employer. And man, everybody gets busy, right? If you say, man, that, uh, that's not somebody else. That's me. I was like that, man. Before I was saved, they'd hand me a broom and R.R. Donnelly's. It was the worst thing I could do. I'd rather, be, I'd rather be working in them books, stacking mail, sorting mail all day, every day, than them give me a broom and say, your machine's down because the day just crept by. So I'd go back there and I'd sweep them racks and I'd do it like I was fighting fire and then I'd not have anything else to do. I'd go tell Eddie, Eddie, I'm done here sweeping these racks. What else you got for me to do? And he said, just go find something to do. Just look busy. Well, that was my way of saying, go back there where the mailbags are and kick back there, right? And uh, not having no phones or anything to do. I'd, I was just a dishonest laborer. I'd just sit there instead of being industrious and finding something else or saying, you really ought to not be paying me right now. I, I for sure wanted that paycheck. And so he says that we are to avoid that kind of insincere labor. He says we are to make sure that we're not just people pleasers. What does that mean? It means this. 
We are to work heartily to the Lord and not for men. So what is that? It's sincere labor. So what that means is that we are giving our whole heart to the task. One of the ways you can do that is this. If I was the employer, what would I be expecting out of this job, out of this employee? And that you're doing it, trying to honor the Lord first and foremost, and then knowing that you can honor your boss as well. So it's sincere labor. It's focused labor. You're giving your whole heart and your mind to the task. It's enthusiastic work that you're giving your yourself to it and you're glad to be there. You're not, you're not uh, begrudging being there, but you're thankful for what God is doing in your heart and in your life and the way that he's providing for you and this opportunity to glorify him in that. And so you're enthusiastic about it. And then it means that you're working honestly, that you are not just... Uh, serving by way of eye service, but you're putting in an honest day's work for an honest day's wage. Now, can I speak, can I sidebar here? This is where I normally get in trouble, but this is also where most of y'all will say, man, you really, the Lord really used you to speak to my heart that day. My brothers and sisters, we have a work-labor crisis in our country today. People who are employers who call me and say, do you have anybody at church that needs a job. And I'll say, yeah, I think I'll have one or two people that are looking for jobs that I know of. Here's the next statement that follows. Will they show up? Will they not call in? Will they work hard? Are they somebody that's looking to work that I can promote and, and build my company with or build my business with? And then they say things like this. Pastor, it's hard to get good, dependable work. Let me tell you how Tracy and I talk about that with the boys. We say to the boys, your generation, this is easy. If you show up early and you stay a few minutes late, you make sure that you're communicating well, you're honest, and you're working hard, you'll be leading whatever the Lord puts you there to do. Because no one else wants to do that. No one else wants to do that. It's like, I just let me play Angry Birds, let me... Let me text, let me do whatever I, I need to do, right? But I, I don't want to give myself away through this employment. And the bigger issue that's at stake there is because that person fails to see that as they give their self away to their work and they give their whole heart to it, that they're actually serving the Lord Jesus in it. If you understand that, say amen. Listen to what... Uh, Sayers wrote, it'll be the last time I quote her, in the same book, she says, in speaking of the sacred duty of work, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter or worker is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk or disorderly in his leisure hours and make sure to go to church on Sundays and make sure to be to work on time. But what the church should be telling him, the worker, is this, that a very first demand that Christianity puts upon you because of the Lord Jesus Christ is that you would go make good tables. That you would go make good tables. We just don't think like that, right? I absolutely love when people are sold out in their job. I mean, the service is just out of this world, aren't they? And if the service is bad, normally you'll get a, I'm sorry about that, I hate I hate that. Let me take care of that. And so it's just really, really good, right? What are we 
to do. We are to work sincerely, focused, enthusiastically, and honestly as we're working to the Lord and not to men. But here's the third thing. The gospel view of labor and work is this. We will recognize that we receive from the Lord what we deserve. He says in verse 24 and 25, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving. And this is an odd play on words, the Lord Christ. He never uses that phrase. It's always the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying you are serving the Master, the Messiah. He's wanting us to make sure that he, we are connecting this gift of labor and work and the way that we go about it right back to the Lord. That there is nothing in there that should be foreign to us that we should recognize it's a gift from God and we should be serving him in that particular way. And so he says that Jesus gives the inheritance of eternal life and the abundance of the Father's presence to those who are not only born again, these folks who are faithful workers and they're diligent about their job and they go about trying to bring glory to the name of Christ by their work ethic. And so we recognize that we receive from the Lord what we deserve. I am just going to tell you, folks, I believe God honors and rewards those who labor well and they labor hard and they are faithful. And here's why I believe that. Because at the end of the day, no fleshly master, right, no earthly employer is our provider. How many of you realize that it's Jesus who is our provider? If you understand it, raise your hand. And so, so we should go work like we're just serving Jesus. And, and even though that employer, that boss may be going about the task and making your life difficult, you might think, I would say to you, work on and work conscientious and work in a great, great way. Why should we do that, preacher? Because it not only brings honor to the Lord, but there's a second thought that he says there. Verse 25, for the wrongdoer, the people pleaser, the eye service person, he says, for that person will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And then he makes this claim. And there is no partiality. What does he mean by that? He means God's justice is true. God's justice is going to fall. And so God knows our heart, our level of sincerity as we work. And I would say to you, listen to this. When you are serving in your job, if you can begin to think, this is what God has made me for. Someone said, when you can begin to understand that this is what God has made me for, you will never work a day in your life. If you understand that, say amen. When your vocation or occupation or your work goes to your life mission, it goes to who you are and to your calling and where God has placed you, then you have unprecedented freedom. My brothers and sisters, I, I love pastoring, I love preaching, but I'm going to tell you today that if God said, if, if Steve kicked the bucket, and I hope you don't, Steve, but if Steve kicked the bucket and the Lord said, I want you to just work and do Steve's job, I would resign tomorrow. I would say, would y'all allow me to do Steve's job? If y'all said no, I'd go find a church that would allow me to do Steve's job. And I would do it and do it well for the glory of God. Our boys mow these yards. These yards aren't good and I get a call about it. 
What about it, Jake? Not good, is it? What about, <laughs> Jake said, not good. Kirby, what about it? You used to be on that moan crew. What about it? Did that yards have to look good? Did they have to be blowed off? Did we leave grass in the parking lot and on the driveways? No. Did we weed eat everything? Yeah. And, we, and when we didn't and we had to go back, I would say, boys, you're costing us money. You're having to load up and set up again. You're having to drive out again. You're, you're costing yourself money. Do it once for the glory of God. If you understand it, say amen. Y'all are going to say, I'm never going back. That guy preaches about everything, even work. We will recognize we'll receive from the Lord what we deserve. You want to get to heaven and hear Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. And then lastly, we will honor our employees as we serve Jesus, our master. Is there something in there about the employer's responsibility? There absolutely is. Matter of fact, there's two things in verse 1 of chapter 4. The first thing is this. If you are an employer, a boss, a leader of others that supervise their work, you should treat those people as, as they were Jesus and you were serving Jesus yourself. Now watch this. And you should recognize that you're modeling Jesus to those people. So if you serve them justly and fairly and in kindness and in grace, and you thoroughly want what's best for them as an employer for, their, for your employee, you're modeling the love of Christ and the gospel to them. If somehow you're heavy-handed with them or somehow you look to take shortcuts or you want to lead them somehow in un ungodliness, you're not only not modeling the love of Christ, but you're causing them to stumble and you're putting an unnecessary weight upon them. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so the second implication is, one, you're not only witnessing and modeling Christ to your employees, but the second implication is this. You have a master who's going to judge you one day for the way that you've led, by the way that you've cared, by the way that you've modeled Christianity and, and Christ to the people who are under you or who serve alongside you, who are your bond servants in our setting today, who are your employees. I would say to you, and I'm not going to have you raise hand, but for every leader here, you should want that employee to thrive. If your business or company is making a great deal of money, you should generously share that, and we should take all reasons off the table for an employee ever to be represented by a union. Unions came into existence because of the unjust employer. Right? He treated people as slaves. And they had nowhere to turn but to organize and become organized unions. Now listen to me, all of you who are employee employers. You should not want that for your people. You should want your people to be able to eat. You should want your people to be able to pay their bills. You should want your people to be able to thrive. You should want your people to be able to say, man, I can't wait to get to work. It's going to be a great environment, a healthy environment. 
You should want the best working conditions, the best wages that you can possibly offer, knowing that if God's not positioned you to do that, just do your best. And whatever your best is in Christ is good enough, right? I'm not talking about doing something you can't possibly do. And then being out of business, I'm talking about modeling that Christian grace to them. Why is that? Because verse 23 or verse 25, is for us as well. The wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality, whether you're an employee or an employer, whether you are someone who is following instructions or whether you're someone who's giving instructions. The idea is to treat people like, one, Jesus would have us treat them, and two, like we would want to be treated. So, how many of y'all are not just looking forward to tomorrow, but you're looking forward to Tuesday? I'm going to quit preaching. (laughs) I got one or two hands. Preacher, are you saying I should be enthusiastic about work? You should be enthusiastic about work. So, preacher, you've not spoken about the curse. There is a real curse. For those who continue to live under the law, there's a heavy curse. And you're going to be affected by that curse. For those of us who are redeemed, there's a portion of that curse that will continue to weigh upon us. But listen to me. We view that completely differently than we did at one other time. Now we begin to realize, wait a minute. It's not work that's the curse. It's the pain and it's the exhaustion that comes from work. If somebody said, Pastor, when you stop pastoring, what would you like to do? There's all sorts of things I'd like to do. If if I wasn't limited by the curse, I'd like to mow just all day. I, I really like to mow and weed eat. You say, you are a fool. I, I love it. I, I like weeding, uh, mowing and weed eating. I, I do. I just... For whatever reason, I find that enjoyable. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Levi's gone back to work. Her's working full time. It's Jake on his mowing crew. He's still got eight yards to mow. And so he's saying, Daddy, we got to mow these yards. It's killing my back right now. I mean, I'm going and mowing some of these yards. It's like you're driving through a, a minefield. And, and I'm, just, I'm just being shook. I'm sure if somebody took a video, I'm just like a big glob of jello shaking down through there. I'm just, just thinking, it's this part of the mowing's not enjoyable. But when I get done and I look, and I say, boy, that looks good. Yards even, clean, blowed off, that, that looks good. You guys are going to think I'm crazy. I, I would like running a Popeye's. I really would. I mean, I could see myself leading people. Hey, we got to drop more chicken breasts right there. We need more legs, right? We just got to get them potatoes and them Cajun beans or whatever they are done, you know? I, I could really enjoy doing that. But listen to what your pastor is trying to say today from the word of the Lord. Whether you're an employer or an employee, whether you're in the prime of your working years, just starting your working years, or whether you're retired, God's created you to work. Some of you in this place who are senior adults who have come to me excited and said, 
Pastor, I want to let you know I'm retiring. You've heard me say something like this. Well, praise the Lord. I'm glad you're getting to do that. Whatever you do, don't sit down. Right? Listen to me, young people. You think your whole life, I want to work and retire so I got nothing to do. When you have nothing to do, you're going to find it very hard to bring glory and honor to the Lord. God's made us for community. He's made us for people. And he's made us to work. And work we will. Stand to your feet. <laughs> There's one more truth that I, I'm going to be amiss if I don't leave it, leave it with you. When we get to heaven, we will work. You say, I thought we just sat around by the river and worshiped Jesus. We are going to worship Jesus and we are going to work. I hope wherever God sends me, whatever universe, whatever planet he sends me, I, I hope it's got bass fish in it, but I hope he gives me a pole or some line. I would really enjoy that. But we are going to be stewards. Who would have ever thought I would be moved by preaching a message on work? We are going to be stewards in the most pure way of God's work ethic when we are in glory. Go there. Do that. Take care of that. And we're going to do it, and we're going to count it all joy. So wherever you find yourself today, I want to encourage you. I wish I would have learned this earlier in my life. Uh, it would have, it would have be, uh, made me uh, not only a better man, a better person. It would have made me enjoy life more. It would have made me enjoy life more. So whether you're blue collar in a factory, whether you are a farmer, whether you're white collar in some business somewhere making decisions, well, you, you could be a stay-at-home mom. You could be someone who you have a desire to work, but you're disabled. Preacher, what do I do? I, I want to work, but I'm disabled. Go do what you can do in the community to love and encourage and brighten somebody's day. But whatever you do, know you were created to bring God glory through the everyday task and loyal and uh, task and toil that God has given you. And rejoice in Christ. And be glad of it. Lord you have made me glad. And God through Christ you have made all of us glad. And Lord we rejoice in your faithfulness. God we rejoice in how you provide for us. And care for us. And Lord how you allow us to be a part of your kingdom. And just everyday stewardship. And, and God how you allow us to understand your word. To have a gospel understanding of work and labor, that it doesn't have to be something that's dreaded and something that is hard and something that is just a, a binding to us, but God, we can rejoice in your faithfulness as you allow us to serve others, as you allow us to work, as you provide for us in the very vocations that you lead us in. And so God, I pray today that you would allow us to worship you in and through our vocations.
Lord, whether that's cutting grass, running Popeyes, whether that's teaching school, making burgers, driving a tractor, giving a bunch of cattle shots, whether it is ministering to somebody who's sick. God, make us to be glad in the work and labor that you have set before us. This is your kingdom. And I pray, God, your kingdom will come. And I pray, God, that you will manifest your glory in and through your church. God, I pray that everyone here who names the name of Jesus, that we would work differently when we go back to our place of work. That, God, we would serve differently, that our attitudes would be transformed and everything would be different. God, because you've allowed us to see, you've allowed us to hear, and you've allowed us to remember you have changed our life for your glory. And that affects every area of our life, including our work life. So God, thank you for this weekend of rest. Thank you for Labor Day. God, I pray that as we head to our homes with families and whatever we're going to be doing, maybe some of these folks are going to be laboring on Labor Day, and getting in the crops. And, uh, maybe they're called to work. Maybe their store is open. God, I pray that you will bless them as they go about their tasks. God, speak to us. 